Welcome to the GBU podcast presented by Alex Mitchell. So a huge welcome to the GBU blog. Uh, again, we're in a virtual capacity due to current situations. So do bear with us if there aren't any technical issues or any hitches or random kids running around, especially on my side and joining us for their unique four-year-old insights on trains and rocket ships or anything like that. Um, so the aim of these blogs are very simple, an informal chat with an awesome founder to find out a little bit about their journey, what set them up, what made them, what helped them get to where they are, some of the lessons they've learned along the way, and some of their future plans, where they want to take it and where they want to go. This week it is the turn of Kitty, who is an amazing founder who I met through, I think it was the Pitch at the Palace initiative, wasn't it Kitty? And yes. it was, uh, saw her presentation there, she's absolutely fantastic, and we've kept in touch ever since. So, Kitty, I'm going to hand over to you to say a little bit about who you are and what you do. Over to you, Kitty. Sure. Thank you so much for the brilliant introduction, Alex. Uh, so, I am a ex-CERN um, physicist and engineer, and so my background is working with very, very cold systems in liquid, helium, liquid, nitrogen, that sort of thing. And back in 2014, I participated in a humanitarian hackathon uh, in Switzerland. And there was when I realized there was a big problem, well, still is a big problem. So when vaccines are delivered to remote areas or hard to reach areas in developing countries, for example, um, there's a massive cold chain that gets broken. So at the moment, there isn't a sufficient vaccine carrier that can keep vaccines at the right temperatures throughout the journey. So a lot of the vaccines become spoiled. So up to 85% at the moment. And this equates to at least $1 billion wasted every year. So I was really shocked by, by this um, big problem. And then given my background in code systems, and I thought there must be a way to solve this. So I was really inspired by this. And, and then I, I thought, yes, this is what I wanted to do. And so that was really when I started um, working on this problem. So that was in yeah, 2014. So I well, kind of Kitty, started, was, yeah. it, it was very much led by a point of inspiration. It was getting involved in that humanitarian, that hack while you were at CERN. And it was that the bit that sort of inspired you to take, right, I've got this skill set here. There is this issue here. And this is how I can answer the issue. Was that the sort of the driver? And then everything from there has been how do you build that solution around it? Yeah, so um, after that, uh, the hackathon, um, I, I just really wanted to to really solve that problem. So I started working on it and see if I could find funding or lab space to, to work on it full time. And so within the first one and a half years, nothing really happened. Either people are not interested or there's no funding, things like that. But I still kept going um, until uh, 2016, uh, the beginning of 2016, at uh, the time I, I moved back to the UK and I met people at Imperial College Advanced Hackspace and they were really excited by the, the work I was doing. So I became a hacker in residence, uh, which means that I had the ability to access all the lab uh, facilities at Imperial and then build my prototype and at the same time uh, contribute um, a percentage of my time doing teaching and helping 
people adding peer and build their ideas into actual prototypes. So is that something that Imperial and other universities do quite readily? Because it seems like quite an innovative approach to support you while tapping into your skill set to support their current cohorts. Mm, yeah, so it was only for people who are graduates of Imperial and so um, yeah, so if you have a good idea and you pitch to the team there, then they decide whether you become this, the hacker in residence to allow you to build your ideas and then help the community. Right. So it was it was a really great thing for me because um, the team at the Hackspace at the time, um, after two months for uh, me becoming the the, the residence, I presented the first prototype. They're really impressed and suggested I slow down the technical development and then move on to developing the business and um, around this project so that was what i did and i started uh, going to pitch competitions and that sort of thing and and then surprisingly i won everything that i entered which was a big contrast to you know the first one and a half years just nothing happened and so from earning um winning um five thousand pounds to 25k and then to 100k and and so all this kind of accumulated and then helped for me to be able to go into the field to Nigeria to remote areas to see how vaccines are actually delivered so for me solving this problem not really uh, was to focus on the last mile it was to look at the whole chain and see how we can improve the whole system and so from yeah visiting the field and then observing a lot of problems that actually happen in the field uh, made by just by human errors so incorporate all this in the design which is to create something that can last throughout the the journey so which is between uh, three and seven days and then to ensure that there's minimal uh, human errors made when they operate the system because if you design something that works but then someone just don't operate in the correct way and that's equivalent to not having something that works um so and so yeah so on that yeah. side kitty the the key thing is as you said it's that last mile but it isn't a physical mile it's that last stage of the journey where the vaccines get spoiled and are not able to be used by those individuals that need to use them to stay alive and what, what are the current solutions out there until you came along what were the current sort of what was there a solution out there was it fit for purpose or was it sort of make do and and that's fine so at the moment uh all of the vaccine carriers being used in the field they're essentially a, a plastic uh, box with a bit of polystyrene in it and um you you put four ice packs in it in order to keep vaccines theoretically uh, between the right range but so so far there's 24 uh, qualified WHO qualified vaccine carriers out there and 22 of them suffer from freezing the vaccines at the very start when you place the ice packs in and only two of them um, didn't have that problem but all of them still have the problem of massive heat transfer so say what we saw in the field was the health workers just tend to forget to close the lid after they open it so the whole thing just like they're under 40 degrees and so the vaccines they just accelerate the spoilage much much quicker than you you would um yeah so, 
the, the current solution is not much more than really a cooler box that you take on a picnic or something like that. Right, it's exactly that, yeah. And why, why hasn't anyone ever looked at trying to um, provide a solution to that? Or was it just a, was it just never, never looked at at all? Was it just someone mm. that no one had ever looked at? Or was it just a, you came up with the idea and thought, yeah, this is great. This is what I'm going to do. I think there are um, there are quite a lot of challenges and and there are in fact a lot of innovation in this field. But then when you um, go into further and understand this field more, and you understand that in fact there's um, so the WHO they have their own specification. So it's uh, I can't remember how many pages, nearly maybe 90 pages in total. So all the things that you need to adhere to, and so it's not just having a box I mean, and then making sure it's pumped. we have to make sure that uh, we have uh, we designed the box that's robust enough to survive that very rough journey and there's drop tears and things like that and so so I saw many innovations in this field but then if you carefully look at all these criteria there are many of them that wouldn't survive that really um, rough and challenging last mile journey and and then or uh, weight is also one of the issues because we want it to be portable for the um, health workers to to climb the mountains and things like that and and a lot of the innovations they they're good innovations but they're just too heavy and can't really uh, put them on the back so a lot of it I guess was um sorry about before my four-year-old was trying to trying to join in in the conversation um, a, a lot of what it is is going out into the market and testing it and speaking to those that are actively going to use it on a day-to-day -day situation, real real clarity. So when you've got all that data, when you've done the research, what was the solution you've come up with, Kitty? What does it what does it look like? What does it feel? Does it deliver on what it's meant to do? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so I would say maybe focus on the the three um, key areas. So the first one, as I mentioned, that current vaccine carriers they they don't last as long. So the the, <coughs> the longest one is fifty one hours, and whereas really? a lot of these journeys last for up to seven days. So my solution, Smile, uh, the smart last mile vaccine carrier. So it would last. So I got two models. One is a big one and a small one. So between them, it's between two and uh, sorry, three and seven days. So it, it depends on the ambient temperature. Uh, so if you're like if we're in the UK, it would last for seven days, for example. And in hotter areas, it would be probably three to five days. Uh, so that's one. So the the extension of that cooling life. And then the second one is a big focus on the human errors because. Um, before I went to the field, um, we know the problem of the ice freezing the vaccines and then not enough cooling time. But then going to the field, seeing that there's all sorts of errors that health workers did, such as yeah, leaving the lid completely open or um, put one or two ice packs, just not enough ice to make things uh, cold enough. And things like uh, placing the vaccines, usable vaccines, uh, just on the floor. And so the first person might be lucky and then the last person who got the last dose from that vial, probably not so lucky. So all these um, human errors for, for me is, is a big thing that really ruined all these vaccines. So 
one of the features on the smile is that we've got a self-closing door so you can forget to for to to close the lid the, the lid would close itself and then it's got a clever um, double door mechanism so you're only exposed to that vaccines that you're taking out and then the rest is still kept in the cooled compartment and then you also you could put it back so it could still cool the vaccine to make sure it's it's at the right temperature uh, so that's the second one just um, on the human error side of the things and the third one is to encourage that uh, good vaccination behavior and so um, the current vaccine carriers, all of them need to have four ice packs to go down to the right temperature. And right. for a smile, there's just one ice pack. So there is no hesitation. Oh, I need to put one or two ice packs and just one and that is enough. And then it is a, um, it comes with a dedicated backpack and it it's also got compartments where the health workers could put syringes and everything they need on it so it's just one packet it really helped with um them do the vaccination so when we did the uh, field trial in madagascar at the end of last year so one of the feedback was they just need to carry that one bag and have everything in it instead of at the moment they're carrying uh, this plastic bag carrying some books and some syringes and different bag and so you tend to just forget oh i've got another bag to carry and and then they like about the fact that um they don't have to worry about the vaccines being broken and because we've got special uh, chambers to hold the vaccines and at the moment um because all the vaccines are in the com same compartment they bump into each other so they need to work uh, work really carefully to prevent the vaccine being broken so yeah, so these are some of the the, the feedback from from the field, uh, doctors so and nurses. It's been a real, it's been a journey, 2004, 2014 to now. Um, listening, obviously listening to your user groups, both those individuals that are carrying the backpack and administering the vaccines, but also the user groups, i.e., the 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 geography or the climate of in which the vaccine is being administered. You've taken all that and you've got the product. What next? Where are you currently and where do you hope to be in the next year or so? Yes, yes. So this is now it's a very exciting uh, point because uh, we've iterated the um, the designs and did the, the field trial. Now really is to um, bring the product out and then to help as many people as we can. And so, so the initial plan is to um, to find commercialization partners and and um, fundraising to produce these carriers for the developing countries, and as we are now in this pandemic um, situation, and then we realised that it's actually very relevant, and that could potentially help the UK and then other developed countries as well, because imagine once we have a vaccine ready for COVID-19 and we've got 67 million people in the UK and at the moment only just nearly about 14,000 pharmacies um, in the UK so how are we going to 
vaccinate nearly everyone in the UK in such a short time. So this um, this smile vaccine carrier could potentially be uh, something that would really help the NHS and really um, relief um, help relieve that workload. And so so yeah, so the plan now really is to to accelerate and then see how much we can do at this time during the lockdown and to start the commercialization. And Kitty, what would, if you were giving lessons to you, you've been on a fascinating journey from being the physicist fellow at CERN to seeing an idea, being inspired by it, taking your skill set, looking at how you can provide a solution using your skill set, getting the data, doing the field trials, listening to the people who are using it, listening to all the data that's coming in, creating a solution, now moving on to the next steps. What has been your biggest learning? If you're speaking to what would be your sort of biggest takeaway, your sort of your nuggets of information that maybe you wish you hadn't knew, known back in 2014, because sometimes it's good not to know everything, but possibly that you think is actually this has been a great learning and something that I'd like to share. Mm, yeah, that's a good, good one. Uh, I think there are many of them uh, because you, you always realize and, and discover new things. Um, I think. Mm, at the time, um, I just, for me, I just, I think this is a great thing to do and I'm so passionate about it, I just kind of went for it. Um, but then there were challenges such as um, meeting people who were in a, kind of in a high up position in these developing countries. They the, the attitude is that they don't really care about the problems in, for their people and but then on the other hand when you talk to the people in the field who are working on this problem the doctors and nurses they understood the problem and they they just for them they just they they just said this is what we've got and we only hope that the government would prioritize these things for our district but after talking to the government people just there's just a big contrast and for me it just it's so frustrating because um some people say the technical development that's the most challenging bit but i think that's actually the easiest bit because now um getting to this stage we've really tried to help people and how do i convince those people that we can help and how how to make them realize this is a problem that would help uh, for the future not really for their pocket at the same at the at the moment so i guess i didn't really um think that would be a problem i mean i heard that there are a lot of corruption problems in in these developing countries but i didn't think it would affect me because i i believed that when when i have something that would help and then people would listen and would understand but it doesn't seem to be the case and um but I think for me, I could I have just to try to overcome these and probably find a different way and and to see if we can show that there's actually making an impact and perhaps those people one day would realize, ah, oh, okay, that might be a good thing to do. So yeah. Kitty, it's it's amazing what you're doing. It really is. Having followed the journey of your business for a while, I think it is, you know, the, the solution it could solve is unbelievable especially as you mentioned the pandemic we've got at the moment the solution you could be providing not only in the uk but to numerous other countries across the globe could be fantastic 
anyone who wants to get in touch and engage with you, all the links will be below this video. So please, if you're out there, if you can help Kitty cut through some of the quagmire, some of the bureaucracy, some of the red tape out there and get in front of people who can take it forward, buy into it, support it and help manufacture it onto the next stage, please do. Kitty, thank you so much. You've been an absolute star. Really appreciate it. I know you've got a couple of grant applications that have got to be in quickly. So a huge, huge good luck on those. And uh, thank you very much for sharing your time. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you very much, everybody. Brilliant. Thank you all for watching. If it wasn't for the Creative Roots and Motive events, we couldn't be doing these uh, webinars, these interviews. So huge shout out. If you want anything on the event side, if you want anything on the creative film and producing side, do give them a shout. But Kitty, thank you so much. And everyone, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening to another episode of the GBU podcast presented by Alex Mitchell. 